on the job with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. It's On The Job, the podcast, all about making your working life better. Francis Leach here, uh, jumping in early to start 2022, the third year of the pandemic. There's some words I thought I would never say, but uh, it is what it is. And it's important that we start talking early because there's a hell of a lot going on and not a lot of it's making much sense, particularly if you're going back to work or trying to go to work or trying to find a job or and just trying to pay the bills. It ain't easy at the moment. So we need to talk and we need to catch up with somebody who knows this stuff, who's got his game sorted. It's Liam O'Brien from the ACTU. He's Assistant Secretary there and he's also right across all the occupational health and safety issues. Of course, the union movement has been right at the front, banging on the front door of uh, the discussions that the government's been having with business. (laughs) They haven't talked to workers. No surprise, true to form, about what work should look like as we deal with Omicron. So, Liam, welcome back to On The Job. How are you? Sorry to bust into the remainder of your holiday to do this, but we need to, don't we? We do. Happy New Year, Francis, and Happy New Year to everybody else. It has uh, not been the start to 2022 that we had all hoped. I think even uh, despite how poorly managed this pandemic's been by the federal government, I did think sort of October, November that we might see the back of it and that uh, things would start to turn around. But maybe we shouldn't be surprised that, you know, when it comes to managing this crisis that the federal government has just demonstrated time after time that they are not up to it. For a government that said no more lockdowns, we are effectively in lockdown in most parts of uh, the eastern parts of the country. Yeah, that, but also with no job keeping, no job seeker, none of mm-hmm. the supports that were in place at the time that the union movement and workers fought so hard for the first time around. So we literally are, as the Prime Minister has uh, quite happy to tell us, we're on our own on this one. Let's just talk about, we're recording this on the Thursday after the National Cabinet meeting. It'll be published in a couple of days' time, but let's just talk a little bit about where we stand when it comes to people and work at the moment. Who should be going to work, when you should be going to work, and just as importantly, what are your rights if you're sick and you can't go or you need to isolate because you're a close contact? Because it has become just so confusing, Liam, so confusing. So let's start with the basics. Every worker in this country has the right to safe and healthy work. And every employer has a legal obligation to ensure that your work is healthy and safe. And that includes actively managing COVID risks in the workplace. Unfortunately, we have had a significant number of people diagnosed with COVID just in the last two weeks. I think I heard some numbers today that more people have been diagnosed in the last two weeks than were diagnosed in the first year and a half of the pandemic. It is having significant impact on work, much like you know Delta and Alpha all had impacts on work. We saw that how it ripped through insecure work. But it is literally, you know, crushing supply chains and putting huge strain on workers who are now being essentially forced back to work under circumstances that we would never have imagined, uh, even, even quite frankly, a month ago. So the Prime Minister has said uh, just uh, in the recent meeting that now transport workers, childcare workers and other uh, workers who he deems as essential, we consider all workers to be essential, can go back to work even if they're uh, positive but not showing symptoms. So it's very confusing. What's the position of unions when it comes to this? Because, as you said, we put uh, the the highest priority, the highest price on workers' uh, safety and health, but the government seems to have agreed with a lot of business heavyweights that the idea is, well, if you're sick, we just need to keep supply chains going. You need to service us. You need to deliver our food. You need to you know pick up after us. You need to work 
work in our aged care facilities to look after people that we put there and your health there, whatever? Well, let's start with the basics, Francis, because like this is being framed as an economic issue. And I think, you know, we should think about it um, you know, as an economic issue firstly. The reality of the situation is that pretty much all economic activity relies upon human beings providing their labour. And when human beings get sick, the economy gets sick. This has got to be one of the more short-sighted moves of the federal government to start sending workers back who have been close contacts because the only thing it is going to do in the medium term is put even greater strain on supply chains and the economy. You cannot have a healthy economy without healthy people. So, yes, the union movement is extremely concerned about this. But I think the first thing we've been concerned about is just how we got here. And we shouldn't forget, you know, there were plenty of warning signs over the last six months about actions the federal government could have taken to stop this. You know, Australia has one of the fastest growing rates of COVID infection anywhere in the world. I saw a graph the other day that showed that we had, you know, surpassed England in terms of the UK in terms of the spike in coronavirus cases in the last few weeks. And that is a really concerning situation. It really, quite frankly, comes back to a turning point back in October when unions and business warned the Morrison government about rapid antigen tests and making sure that Australia was not left behind like we were in relation to vaccines when it came to these critical tools that would have kept work safe. So even back then we could foresee what was going to happen and it has come to pass. So what's your advice to to workers who might now feel pressured if they're working in one of those industries to return to work, even if they, you know, they make a uh, you know, philosophical position, I don't want to go to work to infect somebody else. But there's an expectation that, you know, well, if you're not showing symptoms, you should go anyway. It's, it's really difficult. The workers are in a bind here. Totally. So the first thing to understand is that every worker, permanent, casual, labour hire, whatever, has the right to stay home if they are unwell. They even have the slightest of symptoms. That's not just with COVID, that's with anything. So the common cold, any sort of illness or injury, you have a right to stay home from work. For permanence, you obviously have a right to sick leave, but even for casuals, you have a right to be absent from work. And that's really important because right now, the best thing we can do, and that's why rapid tests are important, is to keep people that are ill away from work. That's the first message to Australian workers. The second one is, and this goes to the issue about how people feel about going to work when there's a real high risk of infection is that every worker has the right to safe work and their employer has an obligation to manage health and safety, to protect them from those risks and to apply controls like rapid tests. But in particular, workers have a right to cease work if they believe that work is unsafe. They should contact the union if they've got these sorts of concerns, but they do have a right at common law, to stop working if work is unsafe. And quite frankly, not managing COVID in many workplaces is unsafe. We know that COVID can kill. We've had the deadliest days of the pandemic just today. COVID is still a very dangerous illness. So, Liam, when we look at the pressures facing people, combined with the pressure that's going to come from employers to report for work after the Prime Minister's comments out of the National Cabinet meeting and the lack of financial support for workers who are uh, thinking of staying home because they're sick, it, it's a pincer movement that makes life very, very tough for them. 
Absolutely. I mean, this is why the union movement has been calling on the Morrison government to extend paid pandemic leave to cover those close contacts that are arising outside of the home. You know, right now, you pointed out before, we are effectively in lockdown without the economic supports that we had of 2021 and, and early and, and late 2020. You know, we are in a situation effectively where the Morrison government is holding you know, a financial gun to the heads of workers to go to work in situations that we have never countenanced um, six months ago. And it's not okay. You know, we should be extremely concerned about the situation that Australian workers are being faced in a range of industries. And, you know, a dozen more industries again announced today where workers who are close contacts will be required to attend work is only going to increase the rate of infection. There are some industries where there are, I guess, you know, there are critical junctures in the progress of the virus where, for instance, there's a lot of human contact, uh, a lot of uh, people coming and going. Schools are one of them. And the return yep. to school is going to be right upon our doorstep in the next couple of weeks. And I know that you have young children and, and, and people who have kids at all ages are going to be having to make that decision about what they do. And then you think about those working in those environments, teachers, cleaners, all of the people that work in those environments having to make the same decision. This is going to be a really frightening time for a lot of people. Absolutely. I mean, we don't even know right now what the rate of infection is amongst teachers. We don't even know if there's a workforce that would be able to, you know, go to school and staff up schools. I mean, this is the situation we're in and schools, you know, less than three weeks away from returning in, in many states. So we've got a real problem. You know, we've got a real problem, the fact that we know, and we saw this when Victoria and New South Wales came out of lockdowns last year, is that schools became real havens for the virus to spread. You know, we've been slow with getting children vaccinated. The rollout with regards to five to 12-year-old vaccinations has been, you know, criminally slow this week. You know, I myself had my own daughter's vaccination cancelled because of lack of supply. And yet we are sending children potentially to school in as little as three weeks. No child will be fully vaccinated by the time that school returns. Now, it, it should be acknowledged that in, in many respects, the children are less likely to experience the severe effects of COVID, but teachers are going to be exposed there. And we know that that's going to be a real issue. So, I am very concerned about what the plan is for schools. I'm very concerned about the health and safety of teachers. And I think we will all be watching very closely over the coming days about um, the various school plans that are going to be put together um, over the course of the next week in advance of next week's National Cabinet. Have you heard from the, the teacher unions around the country about what their current thinking is about a return to school? Because the pressure is going to be enormous. I mean, the Prime Minister was already laying it on them in that uh, National Cabinet meeting that we just heard, where he was basically made the case that teachers just need to go back because if teachers don't go back and kids have to stay home, then more parents are going to stay home, supply chains are going to break down, and the whole thing turns to shit. So it's almost as if it's on teachers to take the risk to keep the whole circus still running. It was really appalling the way that the Prime Minister essentially laid, you know, the situation around how we keep the economy going on the health and safety of teachers and, quite frankly, the health and safety of students as well. You know, this is a situation where the government has had two years to plan for this and has failed. You know, we are not prepared for this, whether it be in our schools or as we're seeing in our health system, and we've got workers attending work in our health system who have been COVID close contacts. We've got workers attending in some parts 
of other social and community services where they're actually COVID positive, caring for COVID positive residents. This is not okay. And we look at the casualisation of the workforce and we know that that's been one of the real issues over the last 20 years. We're at peak casualisation in a sense. How are people managing, do you think, to to deal with the emotional stress and what are we hearing about the way people are dealing with uh, the growing uncertainty in an already deeply uncertain environment for workers where they just don't know where their next paycheck might be coming from? Uh, look, we, we, even before the pandemic, we had a massive problem with insecure work. But as we all know, COVID really highlighted the frailties of insecure work. The lack of access to fundamental things like sick leave meant that, you know, in the early days, and indeed, I suspect right now, we are seeing, you know, Delta and Omicron spread much more rapidly amongst insecure workers. The consequences for getting sick if you are a casual are far greater. And we're seeing the effects of that right now. You know, we talk about the fact that really, you know, in particular with Omicron, the highest rate of infection has been amongst young workers. We know that young workers are more likely to be frontline workers. They're more likely to be in those essential services where they're facing um, the community and exposed to COVID. They're also much more likely to be in insecure work. So right now, the economic effects of the pandemic are being felt by many of the worst aspects of our workforce in terms of insecure work. Just to finish, Liam, uh, the union movement wasn't invited to uh, the recent discussions that the Prime Minister held around what the rules regarding workers returning to work should look like, and they change all the time. What is the next step for unions in order to make sure that we can muscle in on that conversation? Obviously, the pressure that's been applied uh, you know, puts some guardrails up so that the government can't push too far uh, its sort of free market, can-do capitalism agenda, as it likes to call itself. But what's the next step here? I think we need to reflect on the last two years and when Australia worked well over the last two years. At the start of this pandemic, governments worked with business and unions to keep Australia safe and keep the economy going. What's been clear over the last year, and in particular in the last few months, is the government has no interest in talking to those that represent ordinary Australians and is really exclusively talking to the big end of town. It shows in the way in which they are approaching this issue around close contacts. This short-sighted approach to keep business operating at the expense of the health and safety of Australian workers, it reeks of the fact that this government is not interested in protecting ordinary Australians. I do think there is an opportunity for the Morrison government to start to get this right. And the first thing it needs to do is to sit down with the trade union movement and address some of the key concerns that we have. In particular, making sure that we've got these basic tools like rapid antigen tests, which give us the ability to stop workers who unknowingly might go to work infectious and infect others from attending. That is the biggest thing that is is crippling our supply chains right now. And Scott Morrison failed to do it back in October when business and unions called for it, but he's got an opportunity to do it now and he needs to do it. Liam, thank you for your insight. We just want to reassure workers that if you are facing that difficult uh, question and that dilemma around whether you should go to work or not if you're sick, uh, the position of the union movement is and always will be look after your health first and, and call your union and join your union. Find out what union you should be in and join your union so your voice can be added to the chorus of voices from Australian workers from all backgrounds, all cultures, Uh, from all parts of the country, rural, regional and urban, to make sure that workers have a say in the way that this country is run and that workers' health and safety is at the top of the list of priorities. Liam, thank you so much for joining us. 
Thanks, Francis. Liam O'Brien, Assistant Secretary at the ACTU, talking to us. That number, Australian Union's hotline, 1300 486 486 I'm absolutely deadly serious. If you have any questions about what you should be doing when it comes to your work situation, you need to join your union, and that's the first place to start. Give that number a call and have a conversation, 1300 486 It's on the job, the podcast, all about making your working life better, and we'll be back again next week. Take care of yourself and others, and we'll speak to you then.